The Talking Point with Kathy Motlasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. It's 8 after 10 o'clock. Welcome to the second hour of the show. It is the talking point. We're leading the conversation on SAFM. We're talking finance with Brian Hirsch in a moment. And given the fact that it's um, the final day of the month, the final Tuesday that is of the month, we'll be taking your questions and in particular many of the questions that you've left for Brian on his um, answering machine. Before we get into that, um, let's take some of the voice notes that you've sent through from the open line. Hi, good morning, Ziania from Pretoria. Yes, I just want to second that caller that called in about the macro security the macro security checkpoint after the uh, toll points after you've paid um yeah it's it's an absolute time waster and i mean there's no way you're gonna after standing in the the shop for two hours and then an hour in the queue and then steal a chocolate bar on the way out and everything's checked i mean it's that's absolutely a waste of, of time hi kathy i wonder if you can help me um I'm fortunate enough to be able to watch all the Rugby World Cup games on DSTV, but um, there's an advert I think I heard saying that SABC Sports is the official broadcaster of the World Cup. How does that happen when apparently SABC is not showing all the matches and in fact at the last minute there was some kind of arrangement between SABC and DSTV um, for SABC to actually show some games. So how does the advert run saying that they are the official broadcaster? Maybe you can enlighten us as to what an, an official broadcaster is of certain events. Thanks, Kathy. You have a fantastic day. Uh, this is Kathy. This is Kathy Kwena here in the north. Um, says Kathy, I'm not sure if you had the conversation yesterday or the interview of Aldrin and the guy who was scammed more than 10 million concerning the event uh, in FNB. I think it's been a boy event or something like that. <laughs> you know, like that interview, if you go back to it and reflect on it, I just felt like um, Aldrin was interviewed like um, Tavo Besta. Like the, 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 the whole shenanigans, the movie is like the, the Tabo Besta story. And it's so helpful that we still have those kind of people in our nation. And people are taking South Africa as an advantage state to do the fraudulent and all that. Shame, man, it was so, so helpful. Good morning, Kathy. Um, I hear your caller that says, uh, you know, start an institute, stop playing the victim and start the institute for yourself. Start a school, start the institute. But look at the legacy. I mean, look what has become of UNISA and look at what has become of the other institutes, the infighting in all the institutes. Uh, we don't mind who's at the head as long as they're running it properly. Uh, I mean, they're causing it to collapse with the thieving and the mismanagement, etc. I mean, who do you blame for that? I mean, confidence in the public comes from at least one institute showing some good governance. Thank you. Good morning, Kathy. In regard to water, 
a water issue. Uh, the tendering system has been captured by evil minds because water is a source of life and it's God given. We should not be struggling with it. Uh, this uh, 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 delivery guys, the guys that are delivering the water are the ones that are damaging the infrastructure for them to continue tendering so that they may continue uh, getting wealthy. And it's sad because of, that is against the human right. I mean, we should not be struggling with water. Water is life-giving. Good morning, Kathy. Welcome back. I'm a first-time caller and on your show, and my Isikosa name is Gongguan. Question. What has happened to Shamila Batui, who was appointed as director of the NPA in 2019? What has she done besides talk, talk, and talk, and talk some more? She and the NPA have been spoon-fed by the Zondo Commission findings against corrupt politicians in the ANC government, and still nothing has been done. Time to interview this ineffective appointee on radio and to find out why she has achieved absolutely nothing in her four years in office. Thanks for a great show and enjoy your day. Talking Finance with Brian Hirsch, making sense of your finance. Good morning, lovely Brian. You've abandoned me in studio this morning. It's um, I'm all by my lonesome self, and um, it's also cold, you know. Funny enough, well, it's also it's cold. cold so. It's cold here in Cape Town. It's been a shocking four or five days. As a matter of fact, people have been flooded. They couldn't get back from plots out of the Cape. Mm. Uh, roads were closed. It's been an absolute nightmare. But I can tell you, as well as I get looked after, in the, in, in the studio, I'm now being looked after by Martha and Joyce. They're making sure that I'm fed with water and tea and lots of cookies. And so uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing the best I can in cold weather. Although yeah. we are seeing some blue skies this morning. I, I, I hope you haven't been affected by, by, by the storm, Brian. No. I, I, look, it's been raining nonstop. It stopped today. But poor people all over the Western Cape and other parts where the rains have really decimated their homes and their surroundings. I mean, you know, it's just so tragic and so sad with what's going on globally. I mean, if you look at the earthquakes, the floods, you just know what's going on throughout the world. You've got to really believe in climate change. If you don't believe in climate change, you really are living in a different planet on a different planet. Brian, I, I will say, you know, every time you go on holiday, you, you remind me of the fact that I, I didn't go into the right career. You know, I should have chosen like finance and I, I wish I was smarter. You know, my life would have been well, so different. Well, you are smarter. You really are. You just sit there quietly, but you know what's going on. But let me tell you, I'm not always on the holiday. I'm down here working. Although yesterday, yesterday was the day of the fast. Never an easy day to fast for 25 hours, but I'm working and I'm coming back now. As soon as we finish this program, I'm getting on a plane. I'll be back. I'll be back in my office by 3.15. So my staff better be, I hope they're listening and they better be tuned up for me because I'm all go. I, I know I tease you all the time about it, but you're right. You, you are one of the hardest working people I know. <laughs> so, Brian, yeah. b- before we get into the, the, the questions of, 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 of sort of the month, I wanted us to talk very briefly about this looming 
budget crisis that we are facing as as a country. And one of the things that I've seen, one of the proposals to the solutions has been that, um, you know, government is basically going to be one of the things that's being looked at is to try and incentivize um, public service workers to take retrenchment packages and maybe add one or two more incentives uh, so that more people are taking up these packages. I think that that's something that we're going to have to look into uh, in the coming weeks, especially ahead of that medium-term budget policy statement. Well, let's first understand why there is a crisis at the moment, South Africans, we are importing a lot more than we're exporting. Uh, and when you calculate how much we bring in and how much we take out, we've got to find that extra money. If we're bringing in more goods than going out, uh, we've got to find that money and there's a deficit. Bearing in mind that at the moment with global downturn in the economies, our commodities are not the commodity prices and our commodities not same, in the same demand. And the second reason is we're not collect, our revenue service is not collecting enough in tax, and therefore there's a shortfall in tax. So if you've got money coming going out and not enough taxes collected, that's what happens with a shortfall. Uh, let me say this to you. I'm never for anyone taking any packages offered prior to retirement. You know, if you take a package now, you're not going to find another job. It may be appealing. It may sound good. But remember, with inflation, money is going to halve. The value of money is going to halve in seven to eight years. So what I'm saying is don't think, don't be misled and don't be misguided by the fact that you can take a package at the age of 30 or 40 or even 50. Carry on working. Don't accept what sounds attractive. You keep your job. You keep earning. Don't go. Don't be fooled by trying to either take early retirement because you are in an early retirement phase or you can take a retrenchment. You'll get a lump sum. It sounds good. But that lump sum will run out very quickly because of inflation. Your two problems always are inflation and longevity. How long you're going to live and how much is inflation. And even though we talk about inflation at 4.7%, I can tell you if you look at food commodities and you look at other commodities and you look at petrol and those sort of things, it's way above. The basket itself may be, may be lower, but the basket to the individual who is actually having to pay for goods of life. Pay, but, you know, you've got electricity, you've got rates and taxes, you've got water, you've also then got to consider food, you've got education, you've got schooling. All these things are much higher. They don't go up by 4.7%. They go up a lot more. Medical aid is going to be waiting to hear now. Discovery's got its launch later this week. And I think it's today, actually. And they'll be letting us know what their increases are. And although the minister has said, please keep your increases to as low as possible, they're not going to become able to come in at 5%. That's not the way medical works. Medical is normally inflation plus 3 to 4. So my, 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 my message this morning is don't take early retirement, don't take retrenchment. All right. Well, that was uh, quite clear then on that issue. Brian, we're going to continue in a moment. I'm just going to take our break and then we'll come back with your question. Reserve Bank, connecting us. Talking finance with Brian Hirsch, making sense of your finance. All right, Brian. So one of the first questions we'll deal with then is around poor performance on investments, particularly on a single and monthly premium. Well, this relates to two questions I had on radio last week, Kathy. The first was a caller that said they'd invested um, a million, 1.2 million rand 
five, six years ago, and it's now only worth 1.3 million. Now, that's what we call time-weighted returns. It's a single premium, one investment made over a period of time, and you work out the performance has been absolutely putrid. That individual has sent me um, all the information. I will be investigating it this week. The other is a caller who said they'd been paying 350 rand a month for 15 years, which worked out to around about 60,000 60, rand. And they said that they it was only worth 100,000 and a return of only 4%. Well, let me talk to you, because most people do invest on a monthly basis. When you're investing in a monthly basis, you can't just say, I invested for 10 years, I invested 10,000 rand a year, times 10 is 100,000, and it's now worth 130, because you didn't invest the, the initial investment and one lump sum. You staggered it in over monthly, and therefore, for 10 years, only the first month's investment was there for 10 years. The second month's investment was there for nine years and 11 months. And in the ninth year, the money was only there for one or two years longer. Now, I did the calculation for that individual, and it actually works out to a return of just on 6.3%, not the 4% that they refer to. Still poor performance. I mean, our South African market has underperformed for the last five to six years, has, as, as our property markets, and it really has been dismal. The real performance in the South African market has come from those companies that are no longer in South Africa, the NASPAs, the Process, uh, the Billitons, the, the Richmonts. Those companies don't operate in South Africa any longer. But the South African companies themselves have performed dismally. And we're hoping that over the next number of years, that performance will improve. And if you're getting poor performance, what you need to do is you need to relook at the funds you're in. Are you in South African funds? Are you in global funds? Are you in funds that are what we call the cutting industries of the world, the technology industries, the health development industries, and the artificial intelligence? How does that affect your portfolio? So there's a big difference between monthly contributions and annual contributions, but still poor performance over the last five, six years. Uh, Brian, is there anything that um, listeners can do to try and make the most of that? Because, you know, not many people sort of have a lump sum that they can contribute. And so the monthly contribution becomes something that is, you know, more budget friendly. Um, so with this poor performing, performing cycle, what else is it that people can do? Well, just be more be more global. Don't just be going into South African funds. I mean, many South African companies, as I said earlier on in the now, are, 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 are global companies. They're not even operating in South Africa. Uh, they may be here, but they, their main operations are global. So you get the advantage of not only global global growth, but you get the advantage of grand depreciation, which you don't get if you're investing in South African companies. So you need to relook really at your underlying investments. It doesn't matter whether you're with Momentum or Anchor or Liberty or Sunlum or Mutual. It doesn't really matter. That's the room. That's who you're buying the structure from. You, that money is then drip-fed into some funds. You need to relook at those funds. You need to get look at get your brokers and your financial advisors to look at those funds for you. And then you need to th realize this is not short-term. Even someone who's been there for five years and is disappointed, you've really probably got to leave it for another three to five years and get the best out of those investment returns. But certainly be looking more at global companies and global institutions within your funds. You can invest globally in any South African fund. 
so it's open architecture, which means you can invest it with liberty and invest in any fund with Alan Gray and any fund. And, 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 and really, so from that perspective, all I'm saying is have a look at your underlying investments. And yeah, you just got to be patient because the three P's of investing is patience, patience, patience. All and right. disappointing. Yeah. Like everything else in South Africa, mm. the last four or five years has been disappointing. Brian, you were speaking about the medical aids shortly, and it's such a big question. You know, medical aid is has become so expensive, and lots of people feeling the pinch are asking whether they should be downgrading from a full medical aid. Well, Kathy, it's even a bigger problem. Today's that's a cost, but you know that cost is going to double every eight years. I mean, a 9% inflation rate, if the medical aids are pushing up their rates 3 to 4% above inflation, you're talking about somewhere in between 8 or 9%, which means in 9 to 10 years, your medical aid is going to double. And then in further 10 years, it's going to double again. So if you think about someone who's paying 12,000 now and is going to be paying 48,000 Rand in 20 years' time, you may be a 40-year-old now and when you're 60 and you're getting closer to when you make more use of your medical aid. So the question is, should you be down, great Grady? Firstly, understand what benefits are you giving up? You need to get clear. And the only way you can do this is to talk to a healthcare broker. Healthcare brokers earn a commission. It's built into your contribution. You don't pay more for having a broker, but you certainly get better advice from a healthcare broker who can do three things. He'll first evaluate your family's health. What is happening with your family health? Are you overinsured? In other words, are you in a top plan when you don't need to be because your family is um, um, healthy? Or are you in a lower plan and you need spending more than what your medical aid just cost, cost you? Have you considered gap cover? If, you, if you're a downgrader, because remember, a lot of the doctors today charge a lot more than tariff. They can charge anything between five and 600%, particularly in hospitalization. And then the third thing is understand what your co-payments are, because it's not only the cost of medical aid. So whether you upgrade or downgrade, get advice, let them have a look at, and let them also have a look at what dreaded disease do you have, critical illness on your life policies? Because remember, medical aid covers the hospitalization, dreaded disease it covers the, the capital lump sum based on the severity of your claim that may carry you forward. And then what about disability if you can't work? So it's a much bigger question of just medical aid. But the medical aids are enormously expensive, and I don't think people fully understand what they are covered for and what they're not covered for. And you need to get that advice. So my best advice on this call this morning is to get yourself a healthcare broker. You're not paying more for that healthcare broker. The, 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 their commission or their fee is built into the rate. And go and get a healthcare broker to help you evaluate what you and your family, because if you don't do it now, what are you going to do in 10 or 20 years time when you may need it? You know, someone who's 55 and now carries on for 20 more years when they're 75, that's the time that, that they probably need more, have more medical expenses than they've ever had in their lives. I mean, it doesn't mean younger people don't have the same sort of problems, but just bear in mind rising costs. It's going to be the biggest single aspect because when I talk about retirement, I talk about having a home paid for, having no debt, and I talk about having a, a, um, a home paid for, no debt, and a healthcare program. So you start need to start building that healthcare plan now, not waiting till you're 70 or 75, because that's going to be your biggest expense of your total expenses that you have in a month.
Brian, just for clarity, so the people that the medical aides would appoint to help you sort of with your individual file or your individual account, are those medical aid brokers? They medical aid. You need to be you need to be registered as a healthcare broker. Not everyone, not every financial planner is a healthcare. It's a it's a, it's a there's a hybrid of choices. It's it's difficult. It's difficult to understand. So many people don't understand their medical aid. They don't understand why their co-payments. Get yourself a, a broker. You can phone the medical aid to ask them, please, to introduce you to a broker. The broker, I think, will earn. The broker earns something like ninety to hundred rand a month, and that's well worth it because it's, it's been paid for by your medical aid. So why not make use of it? And they can then evaluate carefully for you what plan you should be on and what plan, how you build up the, the future plan for those increased costs in the years to come. All right. Brian, we'll continue in a moment. We're talking finance with Brian Hirsch. I'll also be taking your calls and questions for him on 86 2032 That's the studio line. And on the WhatsApp line, 0614-104-107. That's where you can send your messages and voice notes. It's time for your latest news headlines. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. All right, we continue talking finance with Brian Hirsch. Brian, I'm going to uh, stay with the questions. Before I do, though, I just want to take Dumisani, uh, who's calling us from Eshowe. He's been on the line. Dumisani, good morning. <laughs> welcome, welcome, Dumisani. Yeah, Real estate and what else do Misani? I'm asking about the, 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 the to invest uh, through the real estate. And uh, offshore. Oh, offshore. Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. All right. No and, problem. Uh, I, I don't know how to, to invest there, to go there. I don't know. I don't know how to check. Yeah. All right. No problem, Dumisani. Uh, Brian will come in shortly. Okay. And you ah. must call in again. Okay. Okay, thank you so much. <laughs> All right, Dumisani uh, out in Eshowe. So, Brian, um, Dumisani, new to the show, is a first-time caller, um, but he also just wants some advice. He he wants to know how uh, to invest in real estate and also offshore. Uh, he says he's keen to invest, but he knows nothing about where to even start with making those kind of investments. Well, the starting point is you need to find yourself a financial advisor. You need to talk to your bank. All your ba- all the banks have financial advisors working for them. But let me talk to you the difference. Real estate is very much linked to South Africa. There are a few trust, unit trusts. They call REITs, Real Estate Investment Trusts. They're listed on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. Some of the very names that come to being is Growth Point, Redefine, High Prop, Vakeli, there's lots of them, and they all have a different strategy, a strategy of investing in different types of real estate. Real estate is, an, is just a word of property, but you can be invested in property funds that are invested locally in commercial properties, in shopping centers, in warehouse 
in industrial and in domestic. You get some of those property funds that have a combination of all those different areas. I mean, at the moment, when you think about companies, how they downsizing the size of the use of offices, how they how how people are negotiating lower rentals, uh, I'm not in favour of that at this point in time. If you're going to be looking at industrial and warehousing, very much so, because a lot of the companies today are using warehousing to house their stocks rather than their very expensive shopping centres. If you go to a company, they will advise. They've got prop. They've got a property portfolio, a property fund. There's Satrix property funds you can go into. When you're going offshore, there are two ways of going offshore. You're allowed to take a million rand out of South Africa a year. You're allowed to apply for a further 10 million and take it offshore. That means your money's leaving South Africa. But you can do an asset swap again. Go to a, go, go to any of these companies. They've got offshore funds where the money doesn't physically leave South Africa, but it's invested offshore for you. But you can you have to bring it back into rands. So those are the two components that you can invest in property and offshore. I'm much more predisposed to investing offshore at the moment yeah. in property certainly but there are some property funds that have, have, have taken the advantage of being invested offshore and 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 have industrial and warehouse space rather than commercial and shopping centers and like that and similar to that uh, I was actually going to raise that point, Brian, because we've had um, Sapoa, the, the, the Property Association of South Africa, coming out to say uh, property's taken quite a knock. And, and I wonder right now if it's a good time, especially for new entrants to the market, to be um, putting, putting their, their investments in, into property or for anybody else, really. Well, if you're going to put if you're going to put money, direct money, and not take a bond, then you don't go and buy a property. Then you should what you should do investment property should go through property funds. But if you're going to buy a property and take a bond, and then the the tenant will 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 pay for the gearing, you know, the tenant will pay all your cost. That's an option, and that is a great option at the moment because property prices are rock bottom. Doesn't mean they can't go lower, but you can, you know, you as a buyer can make any offer you like. You don't, I mean, I was in, in a store the other day at Fornos having a cup of tea and the lady there, the manager said she wants to buy a property, but it's a bit expensive. They're asking 875,000. I said, well, did you make an offer? She said, what do you mean make an offer? I said, well, you don't have to pay 875, offer them 700. You don't know why they're a seller. So if you're going to buy a property and take a bond, then bear in mind we've got higher bond rates. Interest rates may go up a little bit more, highly unlikely too much more, which means if interest rates come down, your bond is costing you less. You've then got to have a tenant. Tenants come and go. And also bear in mind, tenants don't always look after the, your property. When they leave, you've got to do maintenance. You've got to collect rentals. Not everyone pays rentals on time. And you've got the bond to pay. So you've got to look at those things. But certainly, if you're going to buy property, then directly, you, I always say to people, you're going to put a full amount of money. If you've got a million rand, you put into property, rather buy a property fund. You've got no hassles. You're leaving it to fund managers to manage. Then you've just got to decide what type of property can you buy. And if you get the fact sheets uh, from the, the companies that you're investing in, they will give you the property fund. You can read the different types of properties they have and the different types of offshore you get conservative offshore, you get more aggressive offshore, certainly the technology companies, the top seven companies, the Amazons, the Apples, the Microsoft, the Googles and the Videos, those type of companies. Yeah, more go-go companies give you greater return, but you need longer time. 
One of the other things I've been seeing um, a, a bit more of, Brian, and, and we can make this sort of a, a conversation for another day, is an increase in what's being described as property stock fails. So, you know, people being being sort of encouraged to pool their money together um, and that money will go towards building, um, you know, houses, whether it's houses for individuals, um, complexes so so sort of your your mini estate um complexes uh, have you seen that i i've seen lots uh, of adverts on that on 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 social media in in particular you just got to be very careful you've got to pick the right company the right management team the management team that's got a track record of reliability because building property is reliability it's finishing the contract on time doing the costings correctly making sure that you're not going to come in well over target and well behind behind in time. And then your biggest problem for investing in that is how do you get out? You know, in a property fund, you can get out, you can buy today and get out this afternoon. When you buy a direct property, you can't because you've got to find the buyer. And I don't need to tell you, buyers are at this point in time, it's a buyer's market, not a seller's market. And if you're going into stock for, understand how do you get, realize your money? Because People go in at inception, but they don't always realize that it takes time to get out. And how do you get out when you want to get out? Because the only people who are going to buy your property are people who want to bargain. So all I'm saying is we can talk about that another time. That's just a, a, a broad, um, brief um, summary. All right. The, the next question, of course, and I think we deal with this question quite a lot. And in fact, um, I'm also seeing it uh, on, on the WhatsApp line. Just, just the issue of where people can can put their retirement money, um, Brian, and, and where the best place to invest for retirement is. Well, it's a, the first thing about retirement is two things. What is your tax situation? Because tax plays a very big role in saving for retirement. And the second important thing is how long have you still got to retirement? If you've got a short period of towards retirement, you've got to be not much more conservative than if you've got a longer period. The problem with so many younger people is they don't go enough growth orientated. They go conservative saving for 10, 15, 20 years. When you're saving for that amount of time, you want to be much more aggressive. So you've got a choice. If, you've got a, if you're paying a lot of tax, a retirement annuity is a wonderful vehicle because you get a tax deduction of the contribution up to 350,000 rand a year. That's the maximum you can put in. But if you put a 1,000 rand a month away, 500 rand, 10,000 rand a year, you're going to get a tax deduction depending on your tax rate. If your tax rate is high and you're paying tax at maximum marginal rate of 45%, then you're going to save 45% of that contribution and the receiver revenue is going to pay for it. Okay, there are no free lunches. And at the other end, you're going to pay tax, but the chances are when you retire, you're going to be earning a lot less and a lot less pension than when you're working. So your tax rate will be lower. And then, you, then you've got tax. If you're not, not paying a lot of tax, you can consider endowment policies, which I spoke about last week. You can, you can consider unit trusts, which include the suite of Signia and Satrix funds because they are exchange-traded funds and they will give you an exposure to both local and offshore markets. And then don't ever forget the tax-free saving, which is 36,000 rand a year per taxpayer, where all the internal growth of that 36,000 or up to that 36,000 invested is not taxed in any way because every investment you make, there are three taxes. There's capital gains tax, there's dividends tax, 
and there's tax on interest. So you don't, you want to avoid that. So it's a bit, it's not, it's never an or, it's a bit of and. I want some endowment, I want some unit trust, I want some tax-free saving, and I want some retirement annuity. Because the one disadvantage of retirement annuity is you're locked in until age 55. You can't get out unless you leave South Africa, and then you can only get out after three years' time. In fact, adding to that, um, Brian, there's a question here. Who uh, It's a, a 27-year-old um, and says that I'm a member of a retirement fund and my contribution is 7.50%. I'd like to ask if it's enough for me until retirement or if I should increase it and if I should do what is the correct... And if I should, what is the correct default for retirement? Okay, 27-year-olds, a fantastic question. Because you're contributing 7.5%. You could up that to 10, 10% in terms of the extra 25 which will be tax deductible. And then you do not have to increase your 10% at any stage in your life. All you have to increase is the 10% of what you're earning. So if you're earning 20,000 Rand now and you're paying 7.5%, you're paying 1,500 Rand. If you're paying 10%, you'd be paying 2,000. And when you're earning 40,000, you must be paying 10% of 40,000. So all you need to do is keep pace with that 10% of what you're earning. So you pay yourself first, but it gets deducted from your taxable salary and invest in the retirement annuity. And now at 27, you must be very growth orientated. Don't be conservative. Go the maximum you can into the equity market, into the property market, both and particularly with an exposure to offshore. When you get into the 40s and 50s, then 10% is certainly not enough. But for a 27-year-old, if you can up that to 10% and then keep pace with you, whatever you're earning, put 10% away, you are one of the 6% of South Africans who will retire comfortably and have financial freedom in retirement. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, so uh, really good advice there for our listener. You didn't sign off. You didn't tell us um, your name, so I can't even refer to you by your name. Um, Quintus in Kabecha wants to know, under the current law of of provident funds, uh, can, we, we, can we withdraw a third or half of it? No, under a provident fund, when you, well, I'm not sure if you're talking about now early retirement or you're talking about withdrawal. If you talk about retirement, all of it can be paid in cash. There's no one-third at all. One-third refers to pension funds and retirement annuities. But in a provident fund, it gets you can get the, the full amount in cash. You will pay tax. The first 550000 is free of tax. Then the next 200000 you get taxed at 18%. Then I think the next three fifty at 27 and then 36%. So you need to do your calculations when you get retirement. If you're withdrawing from your provident fund, yes, you can withdraw the whole lot as well. You have no limitations, but then you have no limitations in pension funds. If you withdraw, you will pay the tax. Only get, I think it's 25,000 or I think maybe 27,500 Rand tax-free. The rest starts to ratchet up in taxes. And if you're in a retirement annuity, you can't touch it till age 55, unless it's 15,000 Rand or less. And unless you or unless you unfortunately one who gets disabled and then you can withdraw from your retirement annuity. All right. Adding to that, here's a WhatsApp voice note for you, Brian. Uh, good morning, Kathy. Good morning, Brian. Uh, I just want to ask, uh, maybe I might be out of uh, topic, but 
why is this insurance company and federal policies increasing their premiums uh, every year but they are not increasing their benefits honestly they are increasing but not increasing their benefit they are not even going to tell you in in advance they will just tell you that next month we are we are increasing but they are not even giving you the, the enough space to to see if you can manage to 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 pay that amount that they want can uh, at least brian assist us on this one because it's really really stressing us increasing the the, the premiums premiums every year is a big problem okay well let's 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 divorce life insurance policies from funeral schemes life insurance policies they're different premium patterns when you buy a life policy you can buy a level contribution a level premium which means we'll start at a higher because it's it'll, you get premiums worked on age on your age next birthday increasing every year and then there's a third pattern where you get a, where you agree right at inception to take an escalation of five percent a year and so on and then the insurance company have what's called guaranteed periods where they have the right to review and it's usually around about 10 years and i can tell you some of those insurance companies for the older generation are really increasing under a funeral scheme it's very different it's what's called underwriting they do a calculation of what premiums they're collecting against what claims they're paying. And if their claims are greater than their premiums, they will escalate the premium to make up, to make sure that they make an underwriting profit, not an underwriting loss. And again, there's some, uh, some funeral schemes where they will give a guaranteed premium uh, and without escalating. There are some that automatically escalate. Funeral premiums don't work on age next birthday, as do life insurance. Any, you know, a 30-year-old or 40-year coming in is going to pay the same for that funeral benefit. Uh, according to, to, to my knowledge, I don't have as much knowledge as maybe a funeral scheme broker, but maybe, again, like everyone else, there are experts in that field. Maybe get hold of a broker who concentrates on funeral schemes and find out one that maybe your premium will stay constant. Phone the, the funeral scheme that you're involved with and ask them for a name of a broker in your area. It all comes back to knowledge, Cathy, and advice. And we can't get away from it. People shouldn't shy away from using a financial planner, and healthcare broker, um, someone that can help them understand and plan their way forward. Because these are costly items that if they're increasing, it has a major impact on your overall budget. Uh, good morning, Brian. Good morning, Cathy. Uh, I just got a question for Brian. Um, I've invested uh, like a, a retirement annuity for many years um, and uh, it, it was an X amount and uh, I think it was close to 15, 20 years and uh, um, I just want to talk about the exorbitant fee of like 4% per annum that was deducted so I collected an annual rate of about 8%. Uh, however, in the last five years I've invested it and I was able to get 20% in three years. Uh, I just want to talk about the rationale. Sort of question, Brian, about the rationale of uh, all these high um, marketing uh, education about retirement annuities. Please elaborate. Thank you. Okay, well, let, let's go back many years ago, and I'm going back 20, 30 years ago. The costs of a retirement annuity were enormous. 
and the penalties were enormous if you stopped a retirement annuity. But in the last five to 10 years, there are new generation retirement annuities. And maybe if you're paying those type of costs, I, I haven't heard costs are 4%, although bear in mind what happens is when you buy a retirement annuity and going back, you would have paid, the insurance company would have worked out what are their costs over the full period between now and your retirement date. So let's assume you were 40 to age 65, they would say, these are my, our costs for the next 25 years. Uh, and they, there's a broker involved who gets a commission, and instead of and they pay the broker up front, and they take their fees back on a yearly basis. And if the policy, if the retirement annuity stops early, then they take what's called unrecouped expenses. All the expenses that they should have earned, they take out of the policy. But the new generation retirement annuities are much lower. I think, I think the costs. Sorry, that's my little dog. Um, the costs are probably somewhere in the order of one and a half to one and three quarter percent. Uh, and some of those, some of the costs are even a lot less. So you need, you can switch. I mean, you just need to find out if you stop your RA, what are the penalties of stopping it? And maybe going to another company which has what's called as and when costs. You only pay for the period that you contribute. You don't have to pay any penalties and then you can negotiate costs. So the one important area is negotiating costs. And the second important area is where is it, the funds going to be invested? But oh. you spoke about some, some years ago, and I'm only a bit concerned that in that mention, that means you probably are a, a, a lot older as a caller if you've been investing for many years. All right. Thanks for that, Brian. We're going to take a quick break. I'm back with more of your questions uh, for Brian. We're also Talking finance with Brian Hirsch, making sense of your finance. All right, let me go to Mpumalanga Bongani. Good morning. Good morning, Skate and, 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 and Brian. Uh, Good morning, Bongani. Yes, Brian. Um, can you just elaborate on this uh, this amendment that's going to happen on the pension fund and the pension that the, uh, the government is going to implement next year? Uh, that the employees now they can uh, um, take, I don't know, it's two tet or something like that on percentages they can withdraw from their pension or or, or uh, proven funds. So what's going to happen? Um, they're going to give us, uh, then we have to pay back like they did when you, we uh, apply for, 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 for assistance in, 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 in housing if we want to um, uh, uh, buy a house or something like that. Then there was this uh, 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 clause, I don't know, yeah, that you can, they can give you maybe that thirty percent of of your prime fund, but you they, they give you as your uh, loan. That is going to be the same thing. That's going to apply may, on that next year if you, uh, employees they could, uh, they got to have uh, they, they can uh, withdraw some of their pension fund. They they are going to give them as a, a loan. They have to uh, pay it back, or it's going to be uh, uh, just one of. Uh, uh, withdrawal that you're going to um, they're going to allow you to to do. Thank you, uh, Brian. Thanks, Bongani, for that. Yeah, look, we, this is a subject we're going to be talking a lot about. There has been a lot of comment that they're hoping that it will get implemented on the 21st of March 2024, although the insurance industry have made a recommendation that they're not going to be ready with the rules until the 1st of March 2025. However, at this, at this moment in time, it's proposed. What's going to happen is two-thirds of your contribution is going to go to what they call the retirement section. One-third is going to be go into what they call the vested savings pot. 
and you will be able to draw from that vesting savings pot 10% as a lump sum uh, at a, with a maximum of 25,000. It's to help those who are really having difficulties. It's not, it's not, uh, I would have, we were worried that maybe you will be able to draw everything. You're only going to be able to draw 10% of your pot. If your pot is 150,000, you'll be able to draw 15,000. If the pot is 500,000, you will be limited to 10% of 250,000, which is 25,000. And then every year, future contributions will be divided between the two pots. And once a year, you will be able to take money out up to a minimum of 2,000 rand. You won't have to pay the money back at all. It's coming out of your retirement fund. So although it sounds great, and for those people who are struggling, it does mean that they're going to have less in their retirement pot. So it'll catch up with them ultimately. I'll keep, as, as I get more information, I will keep our listeners in, 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 in involved in, in keep them informed of what is happening on this retirement pot. But I saw the latest thing was only this last week that they're now looking maybe not to implement it on the 1st of March 2024, but only the 1st of March 2025, although Casata pushing strongly. But the rules have to be changed and the, and the structures have to be changed by all the insurance companies, all the retirement funds, that all the new rules have to be registered. There's a lot of administration, but let, let's hope it does come in on the 1st of March 2024. All right. Bongani? Bye. You sorted. Does that help clarify things for you, Bongani? All right, it looks like we've lost Bongani on the line there. Yeah, but uh, thanks for that, Brian. I've got a question from Frank in Maritzburg. He says, hi, Kathy. I read some time ago that companies acquired other companies in distress and stripped their pension funds, knowing there was a huge pension fund surplus in those funds. Anything you've heard of, Brian? Yeah, absolutely. That was called pension fund stripping. That was many years ago where companies, particularly what was called defined benefit funds as compared to defined contribution funds. Most of us contribute to defined contribution funds where we define what we're contributing. You contribute seven and a half, your employer contributes seven and a half, and at retirement you get the, that 15% together with all growth. These were defined benefit funds where the member's contribution was defined and the employer was given a figure that they had to put in via actuaries. And they, these funds were overfunded and the company would buy a company with, in distress that had a pension. They would then merge the two pensions, have an enormous amount of surplus and then strip the fund and take that surplus. And, and then they, would, they could take contribution holidays where they didn't have to pay anything. But that is the thing of the past. That's not happening anymore. The, the FSB, the pensions registrar, they're all very carefully watching these things. They can't happen. It did happen. There were. Sorry about that. <laughs> there were fines imposed on certain companies, but it was something. It can't happen anymore. All right. Well, Brian. Uh, that little yeah. puppy's got you on a serious timer. It's telling us that it's time to go, which in fact it is. Of course, um, people can still reach you uh, on your line. Yeah, I'm a little bit behind on my calling, so please forgive me if I haven't called anyone back the last week. But my number is 011-880-4888. And to remind you, leave all your numbers, where you're phoning from. The trouble is if you don't have an answering service, you don't know that I've called, and leave your question. It will probably take me the best, better part of two and a half weeks to get back to you. But in the meantime, I will get back to the others who are still waiting from last week. Oh. 011 
880488. Kathy, look forward to seeing you in the studio next week, and I wish our listeners a good day. Thank you, Brian. Have a safe flight uh, back to Johannesburg later on today.